Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, we're going to talk about Hasbro's holiday layoffs and what that means for the game that we love. We're going to talk about how to get exponentially more value out of your GM-related books. I'm not exaggerating when I say the word exponentially. It's actually slightly less than exponential, but it's pretty close to exponential. We're going to talk about my favorite tabletop role-playing game products of 2023, and we're going to go through more questions from the December 2023 Patreon Q&A, all today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in tabletop role-playing games. This show is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to all kinds of great stuff, dedicated Discord server, the monthly Q&A, a whole bunch of exclusive tips, tricks, tools, source books, adventures, Everything that you need in order, not everything you need, but lots of stuff that you can gain benefit from when running your role-playing games. And it's at a very low price. And you get to help me put on shows like this to the patrons of Flourish. Thank you so much for your support. Speaking of support, we are in, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the podcast, you have very little time left to go to the Sly Flourish bundle of holding and, and get in on it. If you want roughly $80 worth of Sly Flourish books for under, for just, just slightly over, I think it's literally one penny over $20, get down on this bundle. The bundle is only lasting. It's one day and 12 hours from the time of this recording, which I think is basically less than 12 hours from now. It's only just a few hours left on this. So what do you get? For $6, you get Lazy Sly Flourish's DM Tips, the Lazy Dungeon Master, the original 2012 version, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and the Lazy DM's Workbook. That's for 6 bucks. That's 20 bucks worth of stuff, I think, like that, or something like that. The Fantastic Collection, though, if you add on, I think it's like $14.01 to right around there. It's a little bit more. You get Ruins of the Grendel Root, Fantastic Adventures, Fantastic Layers, and Fantastic Locations, including all of their art and map packs, all with those that have EPUBs. You get all of the EPUBs pubs along with pdf you get it all in one good one big package it's a really fantastic deal you can find a link to that in the show notes it's ending very very soon please check it out this past week we got word that many many people at hasbro were laid off i think it was something like 1100 employees of hasbro got laid off across all of their divisions including that is in addition to the 800 that were laid off before that's about 20% of the company was laid off. And this appears to have been across the entire company, which means it hit Wizards of the Coast as well. Even though Wizards of the Coast is apparently doing much better than the traditional Hasbro brands, this looks like they have done a 20% cut across the board. This is a relatively common idea that big jerk off companies do which is it's far easier for us to just tell every department to cut a certain percentage than it is for us to actually figure out who should be let go from which departments in order to maximize shareholder value anyway many great people were let go Uh, they were let go right before christmas it really sucks now those of us who have been paying attention to the rpg industry for many years know that this isn't necessarily unprecedented in the third edition and fourth edition days it became notorious that wizards would regularly fire staff right at the end of the year right in the holiday season it's got something to do with taxes it's got something to do with like quarterly income quarterly value all that kind of nonsense, but it hurts real people. And it's very, very sad. Many of the people that are on this list are people that I know, people that I think have done a great job and it's a real shame to see them to see them go. And I and I feel for them. I feel for them greatly. So if you want to learn more and you want to discuss it more, uh, there's a great thread, a bunch of different threads on EN World where they're talking about this. I will link to the main EN World thread that has all of the details in the show notes. So if you want to see the names of everybody, if you want to learn more about it, you can do so. But it was a lot of people. So two things became very crystal clear when 
I saw the layoffs themselves. And when I read Chris Cox's note about it, number one, there is no wizards of the coast. There is only Hasbro. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, of course there's a wizards of the coast. There's a big logo. I'm going to use a quote from Dune. If you can destroy a thing, you can control a thing. So if there is a wizards of the coast, it, it is, it doesn't matter. Because the whims of Hasbro can directly affect what happens at Wizards of the Coast. One way of thinking about it is you have two barrels filled with water. Only there's a pipe at the bottom of the two barrels that connect the two barrels together. As long as one barrel is going up and down, the other barrel is going to go up and down. No matter what you do in one barrel, it's going to always affect the other barrel. It doesn't matter if Wizards of the Coast has a strategic direction. It doesn't matter if people in the Wizards of the Coast are really good, and many of them are. I absolutely believe this. I know that this is true. That many of the people working in Wizards of the Coast have our hobby as their prime interest. They love this hobby. They loved it before they went there. They were extremely happy to go there to be part of the hobby. And in their position there, want the whole hobby, the whole tabletop role-playing game hobby to be stronger. They absolutely want that. And it doesn't matter because Hasbro can fire them because toys didn't do well. So it doesn't matter because as long as Hasbro is sitting up above wizards and can say things like, you're going to have to drop 20% of your staff, even though you're doing way better than everybody else, it doesn't matter. So as far as I'm concerned, there is only Hasbro. There is not Wizards of the Coast. I don't even feel like talking about Wizards of the Coast anymore I, because it doesn't matter. The direction is Hasbro and the direction of what's happening with D&D is Hasbro. So there is only Hasbro. The other one, it is very clear. And again, I've talked about this for many weeks. D&D is a digital product now, right? That the focus of D&D is on a digital product line. This isn't a surprise. And if you think about it just financially, we know they spent $150 million on D&D Beyond a couple of years ago, $150 million. And I, I laughed because I said, imagine if somebody came to me and said, I want you to make a role-playing game and here's $150 million. I wouldn't know what to do with it. I wouldn't know what to do with 10% of it. And I don't imagine that it costs 10% of that to make the new core books. So the core of D&D, the actual, when you, when you scrape everything away and you come to the core of D&D, it's three core books. And it's certainly, I think you'd have to spend, you would be wasting a tremendous amount of money to spend $15 million making three core books, much less $150 million. But that's what Wizards of the Coast invested in it. We also know that they're investing even more money into the virtual tabletop. We have no idea how much money that is going into that. But I bet you it's harder to do that than it is to do D&D Beyond. So, you know, it's a whole lot, which means they are pouring almost all of their money into the digital side of D&D. There is no Wizards of the Coast. There is only Hasbro. And D&D is a digital product now. Those are the two things that became crystal clear to me when looking at this whole thing with all of the layoffs. So what do we do about that? I talked about this previously as well. I'm going to bring it up again, and I'm probably going to bring it up a lot. What can we do? One, play other games. There's lots of TR TTRPGs. I love 5th edition. I love D&D. I plan on playing both. I can also play lots of other role-playing games. I'm not saying you have to exclude one in order to include another. Many people are. Many people are saying just leave D&D and go to another game. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are many, many games, and we can love many, many games. 
our hobby becomes more resilient the more we try other games and enjoy other games and let our players try and enjoy other games. I've been running a long Shadow Dark campaign. And I've been really enjoying it. I'm not saying I'm going to switch to Shadow Dark and that's going to be the only thing I ever going to play, but I'm really enjoying it. The good thing is even with 5th edition, we don't need D&D. That with 5th edition, you have Tales of the Valiant. You have Level Up Advanced 5e. You also have your old D&D books. And if you have them already, you can, of course you can use them. Support other publishers, particularly independent publishers. Many, many really great creative people, including people that became members of Wizards of the Coast, uh, that joined Wizards of the Coast, uh, made fantastic products for 5th edition, products that are directly compatible with the 5th edition version of D&D. They made those products. Go support them. Support them on Kickstarter. Go to their websites and buy their products directly from them on their website. Support other publishers. Buy books and PDF, physical books and PDFs. The more you pour money into licensing material from cloud-based services, the riskier things are. If you buy physical books and you buy PDFs, those are things that you can keep and hold and no one can take away from you as long as you care for them. So focus on the things that you can buy and download and put on a USB disk and back up, make sure to back up your stuff. I tell you, every week I get people saying, hey, I lost my copy of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Can you send me a new one? And I'm like, absolutely. And I send them a new one. What if I'm not around? What do you do then? Now you lost your copy. So back up your data. Use physical books, sheets, and dice even for online play and support the use of books, physical character sheets, and dice for online play from your players. Let them just roll dice at the table. Even when we're playing online, you don't need to use digital tools. You can use physical tools. I roll physical dice at my table all the time when I'm running online games. All we really need is communication. Don't get so hung up on using all the digital tools. It's okay to use the physical stuff and it's really fun. Allow other 5e character options other than those published by Wizards of the Coast. So there are many, many people putting out character options for 5th edition characters. Embrace those. Look at them. Study them. Decide which ones you think are appropriate for your game. Decide which ones you don't think are going to break everything up. But go ahead and allow other material at your game than just the stuff that's, that is put out by Wizards of the Coast. Their stuff, I saw this with another group. Wizard stuff is official. Everything else is homebrew. I heard somebody say that. That's just plain wrong. It's just wrong, right? It's not homebrew stuff. That stuff is well-published stuff. And it's in many cases, is far better than the stuff you're going to get from Wizards of the Coast. So embrace it all and bring in stuff from other publishers. Don't let your happiness with tabletop role-playing games depend on the whims of Hasbro. That's really the main lesson we can learn from this. We love the TTRPG hobby. I love the TTRPG hobby. I spend pretty much every waking moment thinking about the TTRPG hobby or doing stuff with it. I love this hobby desperately. It's just, it's so much fun. And it, to me, it is so important. We cannot let our own hold on this hobby depend on any one company, but particularly Wizards of the Coast. And we've seen what they have been doing. Don't let your happiness with TTRPGs depend upon the whims of Hasbro is my number one lesson in this. How about something else really cool? What if I told you all of those GM books that you've been buying? What if I told you you could get exponentially more value out of those books? And I'm not being like dramatic. You can actually be, they can be exponentially more valuable with one, this one tip. This is so clickbaity. This one tip is going to make your books exponentially more value. And that tip can be explained in, I think, three words. No, two words. Two words. You ready for the two words to give you exponentially more value? Roll twice. So what if I told you you could get double the value? How do you do it? Roll twice. 
What does that mean, Mike? What the hell are you talking about? Roll twice. Here's the deal. Uh, random encounter tables and, and pretty much any of the random tables that you have in any of your GM books. One of the ways that you can make them really interesting, roll twice on the tables. And whether it, you sometimes you can do it with like random items. A lot of times you can do it certainly with random monsters. It works. Random traps. All of those tables you can roll twice. And we're going to do we're going to show some experiments right now where we can do that. So we are going to use the Level Up Advanced 5e Trials and Treasure book for this. This is sort of the Level Up Advanced advanced 5e's version of the dungeon master's guide it is their book that includes things like exploration rules it includes random monster tables it includes treasure that you can drop in lots of great stuff it is a really good really fantastic book even if you're running vanilla DD fifth edition but you're looking for a book that has more information certainly stuff that i think is outlined and out, out laid out better than what you find in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, the Level Up Advanced 5e Trials and Treasure book is really, really good, and I highly recommend it. I had done, I've done a spotlight on it before. I may do a spotlight on it again because I really like it. In particular, I might focus on the exploration rules, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about random tables. So here in chapter four under exploration, we have regions. Uh, you go to the regions, and this is where you start to get lots and lots of random tables. Uh, that are set for all different regions of the world. And that's great. There's tons and tons of hundreds, like just hundreds and hundreds of encounters. Now, this is great. One thing my, my little nitpick would be for this, if I was going to pick, and I I'm, I'm guess I'm going to pick, is that when you have something like you roll a number and it says noble, that doesn't really tell you anything. One of the things I really like from random in, encounter tables is when it has context along with the encounter. So it's not just bugbears. It's bugbears are harassing a merchant or bugbears have just assassinated somebody, right? Give Do something that talks about why these bugbears are there you can always not use whatever the motivation is but it gives you a little bit more for an encounter to have that motivation but let's take a look at this country shire exploring table tier two so the idea is that things have escalated up in the world a little bit and you're facing some more powerful foes so instead of we'll just roll once to see what we get right hey characters are wandering around uh, in the country shire uh what do they run into 78 uh, 78 is an ogre. So an ogre shows up. Okay, great. Hey, characters are walking around. An ogre shows up. That's boring, right? Is that really exciting? No. Ah, but what if we roll? Roll twice instead. Let's roll twice. 45, a griffin and 90, a social encounter. Uh, let's see what that actually is. So that was page... 103 remember the griffin but we're going to the social encounter on page 103 so we've got our social encounter table here which is still pretty cool 18 so 18 out of social encounters a child who has run away from home so already imagine a child who has run away from home and is riding on the back of a griffin the child is like you know you hear this thing and you look up in the sky and you see a griffin flying around and somebody's on it with arms outstretched like never-ending story going wee and you're like what the hell and then the griffin comes down and the the kid is like you know big griffin lands on the ground and like looks at you and snorts and is clawing at the ground and the kid goes do you have cookies and you're like ah uh, what and it's like i want a cookie and the griffin's looking at him, he goes he wants something too i don't think he wants a cookie and now you have this encounter where you mixed up a kid that's riding in a griffin how much cooler is that than either a kid that is lost from home or a griffin on their own not you know way cooler if you ask me let's try another one we're going to do tier one in the blasted lands deserts notorious for capricious ruins yada 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 let's do some blasted lands uh stuff here 66 is a pit trap that's exciting you're walking along the blasted lands then you fall in a pit boring let's roll twice let's roll again 62 
62 is an ogre, right? So now you have a pit trap and the, the there's like hiding behind a rock is maybe above some, some ogres that are waiting for you to fall in the pit trap. Or maybe an ogre has already fallen in a pit trap. It's like, help, I sprained my ankle. I fell down this stupid pit trap and my ankle is hurt. Help me out, right? You can decide like, ooh, which way do I want to do it? But you now you've got this cool motivation. There's a pit trap and an ogre. All you had to do was roll twice right? Very, very easy to do. And if you think about it, when I say it's exponentially more valuable, it's all of the encounters on this table times all of the encounters on this table. It's actually slightly less because you don't want to want bandit captain plus bandit captain. So it's a little less than exponential, but it's still a whole lot. Let's do it again. Let's pick a different one. Isn't this fun? This is fun. Faywood. Let's do tier three in the Faywood because it's really, now it's dangerous. You've entered the Faywood, right? The dangerous Faywood. Uh, we roll once, 91, a wyvern. Is that exciting on its own? You're in the Feywood. You, fa- you face a wyvern. Not really. That's not really exciting. Roll again, 33, hobgoblin warlord. A hobgoblin warlord and a zombie comes riding, and he comes riding on a on a wyvern. A bunch of hobgoblins come riding in, maybe on direwolves or on uh, what are those goblin things that they ride on. Oh, I forget wargs so they you know, hobgoblins come riding out of wargs and a hobgoblin warlord comes riding in and he's like you're all drafted we're going to war we're going to war with the fey queen and you're all drafted get in line right like fun you just you get ideas you just your man your mind goes in different ways you could of course switch it around and a wyvern is about to kill a hobgoblin warlord you save the warlord and he's your best friend right you have all different ways that you could go with this let's do another one fiery hellscape let's do a tier two let's do tier four fiery hellscape because fiery hellscapes are really nasty not a lot of options on the fiery hellscape i'll tell you uh nine is a chained one the chain devil variant right okay that's cool 37 a cala calcos i don't even know what that is so you have, again, two creatures. Maybe one is commanding the other. Maybe the other is commanding the one. Maybe they're fighting each other. Who knows what these two things are doing? And maybe it is just a monstrous encounter, but maybe it's a mixture of a chained one commanding a bunch of... I don't know what a, cal- I don't know what a calcos is, and I don't have the monster book handy. Uh, but maybe it's a chained devil that's commanding a bunch of these things. So even when you're just mixing up two monster types to be in an encounter to fight, it's still more interesting. But a lot of times you can use it to drive the rest of the story for it. So this is a fantastic lazy trick roll twice it is when you think about the value that we can squeeze out of these books that we get and you do something like reskinning rescreening is another technique where you get a tremendous amount of extra value out of the books you have and the whole trick to reskinning is take a thing that you find in a book call it something else but use the same mechanics really really easy thing to do easily done with monsters and it takes your monster book and makes it again exponentially more useful it makes it multiplied by the number of different kinds of creatures you can imagine so that's really powerful likewise rolling twice on a random table in order to get your ideas that is where you can get a lot of extra value even when they're not adding context right because you can see like let's roll exploring tier two we're going to stay in the hellscape we're going to have a tier two 57 Uh, marsh gas right so they're dealing with marsh gas that on its own is not very exciting i've had adventures where like oh you're walking through marsh gas every make a constitution saving throw it's it's pretty lame right that when you just have one thing it's actually pretty lame the minute you add a second one 18 
a bearded devil, bearded devils in marsh gas, right? Now you've got a potentially really interesting tactical encounter where you're trying to go through marsh gas, getting attacked by bearded devils or a role play encounter where a bunch of bearded devils got stuck in marsh gas themselves. You can change this. And immediately when you just take one vector and cross it with another, now you get really interesting things. And you can do this with all kinds of other tables too. The Lazy DM's Companion, my book, which is packed with random tables, they are designed for you to be able to roll on multiple tables simultaneously or mixed tables. So that is my tip for the day. Two words, roll twice, and it immediately gives you a whole wide range of different ways to fire off your imagination and get a whole lot more value out of the random tables that you find most often in GM-focused role-playing game materials. One of the things I've added to the SlyFlourish Patreon is the Hero Tier. Hero Tier subscribers start at $4, and Hero Tier subscribers of the SlyFlourish Patreon get a whole other podcast. So of course, you know that I'm doing the Lazy RPG Talk Show, which you're watching or listening to right now. I do my RPG prep every Friday. Also, you could be watching or listening. And on YouTube, I do a DM tip every Wednesday. Did you know that every Thursday, I do another podcast, this podcast called Readings and Reflections with Sly Flourish. Readings and Reflections is where I take this week's Sly Flourish article. I read it out loud so you can enjoy it while you're in the car or mowing the lawn or whatever you're doing where you can't just sit and read a thing. And then I do a commentary on it. I talk about why that article came about. I talk about other ideas. A lot of times I expand on the ideas that you would find in the article and talk about other ways that it can be valuable to you and your game. It's really fun to do. It's only about a 12 minute long podcast, so it's not too long. It's not going to take up a lot of your time. Really fun to do. And it's an exclusive podcast for patrons of Sly Flourish at the Hero tier. So if you want to hear readings and reflections, please join the Sly Flourish Patreon at the Hero tier and enjoy readings and reflections with Sly Flourish. We have another fun topic today. It is closing in on the end of 2023. And I thought now is a great time to talk about my favorite TTRPG products of 2023. I need to start off with probably a whole slew of disclaimers that you'll just scroll through. And then at the bottom, you'll say, accept that you, of course, accept my disclaimers. My disclaimers include, I didn't see everything. I only see the products that I see. There are products I have around here that I got, but I haven't really read. An example is Aurora by Ghostfire Gaming. I just got the physical version. It looks great. I have not had the chance to dive into it read. So I can't have a favorite product of something that I haven't looked at. So if you're like, how come you didn't love this favorite product? And I'm like, I never read it. I didn't even know it existed. I'm sorry. So that's one disclaimer. The other disclaimer is just me, just me and my ideas. I'm not saying these are the best products of 2023. That would be foolish. Instead, I'm saying these are the products that I've looked at, that I've used, that I love, that have been a big, big part of my big part of the hobby for me, something that has really helped. So a I didn't see everything. I'm sorry I didn't see that thing that you really loved that you thought was better than these. And B, it's just my opinion, man. Like you can have your own list of top five things too. And yours is not more wrong than mine is right. All of us are allowed to have whatever opinions we want on whatever products we found uh, that were they're big. So what are my top five products? Look, I used a little like thing so I can hide the products so as not to... So that, that you don't lose the surprise at number one. Although I would be very surprised. Here's a fun thing. Uh, what do you think my product, my number one product is for 2023? I'm not, before I say what it is, write it down and see if you can guess what my product of 2023 is. And I'm certain you will not be surprised when you hear it. If you didn't get it, you should, it, it should be foolish. Like it, it's pretty easy to figure out, I think. 
Number five, Toma Beast 1 2023. So Cobalt Press went back to their original Tome of Beasts, the original book that they did, and they rewrote and rebuilt many of the monsters in Tome of Beasts. Now, there's really one reason why this is my on my list of my top five favorite products. There's a few reasons, but one of them is the quality of the physical book is way better. Cobalt Press switched over from using, I think like heavily recycled paper with a very opaque finish that was really thick, kind of rough and didn't have near the color depth of the new one. The new Tome Beast one is a beautiful looking book. Designs, they didn't change everything. So many of the monsters that are in Tome Beast one are the same as they were in the Tome Beast one from whatever it was five years ago. But many of them have have gone through changes a lot of the npcs have gone through changes that follow the new standard style of spells being built into the stat block so that it is there so that that works really well the one thing i will say so one of the reasons why it's on my top five is i've used it i've used it a lot this year i've used it while i was running my empire of the ghouls game i used it when i was running my curse uh, my my scarlet citadel game i've used it a lot so a, a product that i've that i bought i read i liked and i used definitely hits the list the one thing i will say though is if you have the original toma beasts you probably don't need to buy this it's not that different. But if you are looking for a higher quality print version with updated monsters, if you use it a whole lot and you know you're going to continue to use it a whole lot, then I think it's definitely worth worth a product, uh, worth worth picking up. And I've done a whole spotlight of Tome Beast 1 in, other, in another show. Number four, Zobek Clockwork City. These are the two Cobalt Press books. I will I will give a hint that three, four, three, two, and one are not Cobalt Press books, but these two Cobalt Press books are there. Zobek Clockwork City is a book of that that combines a lot of material written about the city of Zobek into one volume. So it's actually material that has existed in other forms. Some of it was for like the third edition of D&D or Pathfinder. Some of it was in Warlock magazine that they did for their Patreon. They took all this stuff together. They rebuilt it, but it's it's a and even though it's coming from a lot of different sources, it's a really really good book. It looks beautiful. Uh, and the main thing here, again, I used it heavily and I used it because I was running Empire of the Ghouls that starts in Zobek. Unfortunately, I didn't get the book till after my characters left Zobek, but then they went back again. And when they went back again, I have used a lot of material from this book. I love source books. I love city source books in particular. And I think Zobek Clockwork City is a really outstanding, a really outstanding book. I liked it. I liked it very much. Number three, Uncharted Journeys. Uncharted Journeys is by Cubicle 7. Uh, Uncharted uh, Cubicle 7 had written for their for their Middle Earth role-playing game, they had done exploration rules for the fifth edition Middle Earth role-playing game. They have they have taken that out and made that useful in and written the whole thing differently into one big volume that is available for fifth edition called Uncharted Journeys. This is a huge book of rules for how to run exploration across the lands. And lots and lots and lots of tables to help fuel your imagination for running encounters that go across the lands. It is a beautiful book. I liked it. I like it very much. It, there are many different ways of handling the idea of character roles when they're doing exploration. This book has four different character roles that it focuses on. It has a, a whole system for how you run it. I have heard complaints about this that I think are, are probably worthy of discussing. I necessarily agree with all of the complaints. What my, my biggest complaint with it is that there are cases for things like weather and fauna 
that look like they should be random tables, but aren't. They just don't have numbers next to the items in them. And I wish they did, which means I have to count down and say, okay, I'm going to roll to see what the weather is like. I don't know why there isn't a random weather generator. The idea is that you're just going to read the weather and pick what makes sense. But I also like to have a die roll because sometimes I don't want to read 12 items. I just want to roll and see what I get. And if I like it, I like it. If I don't, I want to roll again. So I kind of wish that those had rolls. Some other complaints are that it doesn't have a lot of combat encounters in it, that it's really focused a lot on exploration encounters. And those encounters could either be really big, like you find a ruined city, or really small. So my big recommendation to deal with that kind of thing is roll, set up and roll your, your exploration encounters during prep. Don't try to use it during the game. This is not the kind of book that helps you improvise in travel encounters during the game. Instead, it can help you get ideas for what you want to do when you're doing exploration encounters ahead of time. But it does have a cool system for moving it. So, so I liked it very much. So I took a hard look at this. I listened to some criticism that I'd heard about it and then went back and looked at it again. And I still think that this is an outstanding book. I really like Uncharted Journeys. That's my number three book. It, the reason why it is ahead of Zobeck Clockwork City and Tome of Beast 1 for me is that it is more universally applicable. I can use this for pretty much any fantasy role-playing game that I want to use, whether it's in Zobeck, you know, whether it's a mid, mid-world or not, uh, Midgard or not. Uh, Zobeck, for example, is only available if you're planning to use the city of Zobeck. I don't think it's a good book to pick up you know, just if you want something for cities, I think this is really good. Tome Beast One, again, universally applicable. I think it's really good, but it is a rebuild of a book that existed a few years ago. Number two, what do you guys think number two is? Number two and number one, can you guys guess? Number two, Flea Mortals. Now, this one I have to have a disclaimer because I wrote material for Flea Mortals. So of course, I'm going to love the book that I wrote for because they have excellent taste in the designers that they chose to write for it. But I'm pretty sure... I'm not wrong that lots of people really love Flea Mortals. Flea Mortals is MCDM's big-ass monster book for 5th edition. It is a has a definite... This is a, a cool, definitive... Uh, opinionated book about running fifth edition monsters. It focuses heavily on interesting monster tactics, making sure monsters all have something interesting mechanically that they do. It's got a big focus on action oriented monsters, this idea of monsters who periodically are doing things throughout a battle to kind of escalate battles. It's got a whole system for minions, how to run tons and tons and tons of monsters in your game and not overwhelm the game. It's got lots of stuff like that. It is a really good book. I'm kind of combining this. Flea Mortals also had another book called Where Evil Lives, which are the layers that are cited to Flea Mortals. I'm kind of joining these two things together. One could argue like Where Evil Lives is really works well on its own. You don't need this, the two books together. Um, but I'm kind of combining them together, uh, which is why Where Evil Lives isn't on this on this list. But Flea Mortals is an outstanding book. It's really, really good. Uh, and and I, I highly recommend it, particularly the vampires. The vampires are probably the best vampires that have ever been written for any role-playing game, as far as I'm concerned. And number one, what do you think number one is going to be? Again, it should not be hard. If it's hard, uh, you're not thinking hard enough. Shadow Dark role-playing game. I have been running a long campaign with the Shadow Dark RPG now for quite a few months. And I love this system. I think it's really, really great. It is definitely an opinionated RPG. This is a full role-playing game, right? And it's definitely an opinionated role-playing game. It has a particular style of play that it is built to do. And I think it handles that style of play really, really well. It did bananas on Kickstarter. It, it, it had a really strong, you know, million dollar, uh, higher than a million dollar Kickstarter. 
uh, immediately had like good quick start guides. So you can actually see what this whole RPG is like for free by downloading their quick start guide off of the drive through RPG. It is a fully playable version of the game for, for zero level and first level, I think. Uh, so it's, it's really, really good. Um, it's, it's the kind of book that I look at and say like, whatever else happens, with the hobby, whatever direction it goes. And I don't even have the physical version yet. The physical version is shipping. But when I have that physical version in my hand, that's the kind of thing where I think like a hundred years from now, this book is still going to be good. Whenever you're holding that book in your hands, that, that is an artifact of our history. It is the kind of thing where I feel like it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing anywhere else in this hobby. That book can stand on its own. And it's a single volume that lets you play the whole RPG. You can play that game with just that one book probably the rest of your life. Now, it is an opinionated RPG. It is a very particular style of play. Characters die a lot. Characters are very vulnerable. Uh, you, you, the style of play is heavy in exploration, finding treasure, delving into dungeons and doing things. But it does that part of it so well that I think it is definitely my favorite product of the year. I have gotten, when I think about the hours of entertainment that I've had using Shadow Dark, compared to the amount of money that I've paid for it, it's paid for itself so easily. And it's not for everybody. I've got some players who are just not fans of it. They like heroic role-playing games. They like games where you have deep character arcs that take place over an entire campaign. The idea that you're dying consistently or that you can get killed by being unconsciously dragged through a fire trap is not what excites them about role-playing games. And they're, they're not wrong. Like, that's absolutely an important thing to understand about how this game differs from other role-playing games. There are other games that do that part of it well. So it is not the end-all be-all of role-playing games. I always see videos and things like, this cures all of 5th edition's woes, or this is the only RPG you ever need. I don't think that's the case. I think that it is, that it is really, really good uh, on its own, but it is one particular style of play. But it, it handles that style of play better than anything else that I've seen in, in, that, in that realm. So Shattered Dark role-playing game is my favorite role-playing game of my favorite role-playing game product of 2023. And if you haven't checked it out, you should, there's no excuse not to check out the free preview. And if you read the preview and you read it and you really dig it and you like it, then maybe pick up the, the book as well. I think the physical book, unfortunately, is not available yet, but will be available next year. And it doesn't matter. Like we've been playing it so much that we've been able to play with the PDFs and really enjoying it. So I really dig it. Now, of course, I didn't include Forge of Foes on that list because how it's already arrogant of me to include Flea Mortals given the work that I did in Flea Mortals. It would be absolutely arrogant, but obviously we all know that Forge of Foes is the best product of the year. Let's do some Patreon questions. Every month, I put up Patreon questions on the Sly Flourish Patreon server uh, on the pa Patreon side. Every month, I every week, I answer every question that is posted there relating to role-playing games. Some of those I bring forward so we can discuss them here on the show, or they become their own catalysts for videos or articles in the future. Spike H says, how do you tell the difference between a normal pregame anxiety from DM burnout? I run two games, but recently both went on hiatus for about two weeks. I have strange feelings about going back to the game and having trouble planning. Should I power through it or take a longer break? It's a good question. It's a hard one to answer because it's a very individual situation. And there's a lot to, un as they say these days, there's a lot to unpack 
in that whole topic. So I'll offer up some thoughts, recognizing that I'm not you. I don't know all of the details of the full situation. I am not an expert in psychology or social work or any of that sort of thing, you know, so there's, but, but there could be a lot of different things going on. There is pregame anxiety, right? I think a lot of people feel that. I think we feel it anytime we're engaging in a creative hobby that, there's that fear of like, you know, I always like, like the lines from Carrie echo through our heads of they're all going to laugh at you. Right. And you're, that's my impression. I thought it was a pretty good impression from Carrie. They're all going to laugh at you. So we have this feeling of when we're doing creative work and we're particularly, we're doing creative work in front of other people. There's a level of anxiety that comes from that. And sometimes if we want to be creative, we have to power through that in order to make a thing anyway right? That we don't want to get hung up on that, that lizard brain feeling of people are going to laugh at you when we know that the benefit of it is going to be so much better for us when we do it, because getting together with our friends is really important. Having a good time with our friends, sharing a bunch of laughs, that's important. I think getting together with people is important in general. Now, so where do we separate the line between DM burnout and something else? That's kind of hard. That's hard to say too. And you might talk about it with your players and ask like, do, does one of them want to pick up the reins and, and run a game for a couple of times? The other thing you get is maybe it's the campaign you're running right now. And it's so deep and so involved and so intricate that you lose, uh, that you kind of lose interest in it and you get, you get sort of anxious about it and you just need to simplify it again. And I've had campaigns that have gone that way. And I just kind of fall back to, Hey, I'm going to run a seven samurai adventure. Right. And I, I, I think one of the, the advantages, one of the things that like return of the lazy dungeon master brings to the table on this is it helps you focus down on the things that actually matter for the game and not get too wound up with the whole bigger picture of what this means in a larger campaign or world building or all that kind of stuff. You got some friends coming over on a Wednesday night. You want them to enjoy the time that they're going to spend there. What can you do to, in order to kind of set the stage so that when they come over, they're going to have a good time. That's, that's really what I try to do with return. It's why I try to simplify it. One of the byproducts of having like the eight steps from return and kind of focusing things down like that is that it can help with some of that anxiety because once you, you know what to do, you go through it, you throw out the steps you don't need, you keep the steps you do need, you fill them out and you feel like you're done. And then the anxiety is like, well, it's not anxiety about not being prepped anyway, because you know you have the stuff. I mean, you still have it. Like the yeah, anxiety is anxiety. But then there could be something larger too. And, and then this is where, again, I'm speaking well out of my area of expertise. But are there other things going on in one's life that are making it, they're kind of getting in the way? Are, is it too much stress in other areas? Is it what we're eating? Is it too little exercise, right? There's lots of different way, reasons why our motivation might be up or down to do things. And we have to ask ourselves like, you know, step back for a minute. Why do I really feel this way? You know, how does this really work? So I, I think these are all just questions. I don't, I don't have an answer really, other than this conversation that we've been having. Uh, one thing I will bring up and I will link to it in the show notes is that Ginny D did an article or did a video where she talked about handle burnout and what to do with it. I thought she offered really good advice. She did a lot more research into it than I did. So I would recommend taking a look at that video as well. But then there's many people who have talked about this topic in many different areas. And it's worth asking, like, do you feel that same way about other activities in your life? Because then it might be time to talk to somebody about it, right? And, or, you know, it's just really, you just need another break, but I know. And, and so there are times, definitely this happens to me where I'll find out a game is canceled and I don't feel bad about it. 
Like, I'm like, oh, that's good. Now, part of that is just I'm very busy. And for me to be able to have not only the time back from running the game, but the prep time back means that like I suddenly gained five extra hours in my week or something like that. You know, that's great. Sometimes I need the rest because, you know, I'm doing a lot. Now I'm running two to three games a week, right? I'm running a lot of games. So, you know, one game, missing one of those games. But I know that I feel bad if I miss two or three. If I miss a full week's worth or two weeks worth of games, which often happens in the holidays too, then I feel anxious about it. I'm like, damn, I kind of missed having that chance to play that game. So, you know, part of it is it's effort, right? People want to, you know, they don't, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And they say like, you know, oh, don't make, don't make it sound like DMing is hard because then nobody will want to do it. And it's not that it's necessarily hard, but it takes effort. And it takes effort that in our day and age of, of instant entertainment, it's more than we often make for lots of other aspects of our lives. It takes more effort than a lot of other things. It's really good effort and it's very fun and it's very creative and it's, it's very enriching and enlightening and we, and we like it a lot, but it definitely takes more effort than, you know, watching a TV show or playing a game on your phone or whatever, right? It definitely takes more work than that. Now, I've tried to do everything I can to simplify it, to make it as easy as possible to, to, to get going with it, but it's still going to take effort. And there's still going to be that constant anxiety of I'm, I'm going to go out in front of my friends and I'm going to make funny voices and they're all going to laugh at me. And sometimes they do laugh at me, but it's okay because we're all laughing for a good time. So that, Spike, I hope that helps with that conversation. It is, it is definitely a big one. And it's one of the reasons I put it on this list. Edmund O says, one thing I'm struggling with a bit is player-focused side quests. I know a big Sly Flourish tip is focus on the characters, and I've interpreted that uh, to give each of my six players their own mini quest, one session max, that rewards them with a bit of backstory lore or a cool customized magic item. But sometimes it seems like the other players would prefer the main storyline to be advanced more quickly, and that these side quests are distractions. Do you have any advice for balancing mono-character focus and all-character plots? So one is, you know, the universal, the universal answer to a lot of things like this is, you know, talk to your players about it and, and step out of the game, step away from the characters and talk to the players and ask them how they feel about it. I find it works best when I can weave personal quests into the main quest line so that it isn't one or the other. If you can weave in your character's side quests into the main quest line, then it's not one or the other. One of the reasons why players might not like them is that they can kind of feel like dream sequences or uh, you know, backtracking or quests that just aren't relevant. It's not that it affects one character. It's that it doesn't have anything to do with the main storyline. But if you can somehow weave them together so that they are part of the main storyline, then not only does this side quest help that one character out, but it also helps move forward the main quest line that that's something um, that can that can hopefully help with that because players definitely feel like look we have a mission let's focus on the mission and they're not super happy when that mission is for whatever reason is is moved off onto a side quest so what if the side quests are the main quest or part of the main quest an example would be let's say that you have five characters and there's five artifacts of power and each of those artifacts of power are sort of tied to the character in some way that the reason why they're there is that but you need all five artifacts of power to open up the great big door in order to get to whatever the end zone is right that way they know they need 
need to accomplish these things. The characters can decide who's going to be next and do it. And they're getting the item that's made for them, but they still have to use all the items together to get to the final place. I actually did this in one of the first campaigns I ever ran when I was like 14 years old. And it surprises me that it worked that well back then when I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I'm sure I screwed up everything else, but I remember I had a scene where they all got their, their magic item of choice. And I remember one guy was like, you gave me a hammer of thunderbolts. I'm writing it in pen because I don't want you to, I, I feel like you're going to take it from me and I'm going to write it in pen so that you can't take it from me. And I was like, okay. So how do you weave in individual character backstories into the main quest line is a really good thing. Can you know, NPCs, NPCs that are part of the main quest line, but are actually related to the characters is a way to do that. Items that they need to acquire anyway could be items that actually support one of the characters really well. So how do you weave those in together so that there isn't one storyline over here that's the main storyline and then the secondary storyline that's going on over here? The other ones you could kind of drop them as, as encounters rather than entire quests. So I have a lot of character-driven things that are going on in my games, and those come up as encounters that occur while they're traveling through the woods. So instead of being two owlbears in the woods, oh, it's that elven assassin that was sent by my father to come and, and kill all my friends and collect me and bring me back to him so that I could be married off. That's actual quest that's going on, right? That can be an encounter. And that way it's only one scene. It's on the way. It doesn't feel like a waste of time because they ran into it. It wasn't something that they went to, but it still ties to the characters. So that's that would be my recommendation. I think the idea of having sort of side quests that are related to the characters that are separate from the main quest that's going on can cause that issue of like, why are we doing this when we should be doing that? I hope that helps. Friends, I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me today while we talked about all things in tabletop role-playing games. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you did and you want more stuff from me, the best way to get it is to join up and sign up for the Sly Flourish newsletter. It is absolutely free to sign up. You get a free adventure generator PDF for signing up and you get a weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox. It includes links to all of the other work that I do everywhere else, so it's the best way to see all of the different things that I do. The other thing you could do is support me directly on Patreon. I talked about readings and reflections, the exclusive Patreon hero tier subscriber benefit, but there's lots of other things you get for being a patron of Sly Flourish. Lots of tools, tips, tricks, books, dedicated Discord server, the monthly Q&A, lots of stuff you get for being a patron, a supporter on Patreon. And to the patrons, thank you so much. And you can pick up any of my books on the Sly Flourish bookstore. That includes Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, Lazy DM's Companion, Lazy DM's Workbook, Forge of Foes, and all four of my fantastic adventure books, Fantastic Adventures, Runes of the Grender Root, Fantastic Layers, and Fantastic Locations. They're all available on the Sly Flourish bookstore. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play a role-playing game.